Hello, my pretties. It's Rogan. I'm back. Uh, Professor Hamby with another podcast lecture of the comics course. Miskatonic University's Remote Education Department offering of Literature 209, Graphical Literature and Society and History. As always, I'm Professor Hamby, and my ever-suffering T.A. Rowan is here. Say hello, Rowan. Hello. Rowan is not having a good day because technology is not cooperating with her. Even though she sat in the living room of my office playing Fable 3 for six hours, so some form of technology was clearly working. And yes, I have a living room now. Um... You know, Dr. Feckett is still involved with some legal trouble. Fortunately, my lawyers are keeping him tied up in jail uh, since he attacked an attempt to chop off my foot with a butcher knife. And so I got some help from uh, the entire graduate uh, department for literature, and we moved everybody's offices one down. There was an empty one at the far end, and we just moved everybody's one down, and I've torn down the wall into Dr. Feckett's, and that's now my living room. You're going to have to help us any way we get that out. I, I'm just, we've already uh, bricked it over. Smooth wall, there's no door. All of his stuff is set up in the next office exactly how he left it. I mean, it, it's, it is not, it, it is not theft. It is reclamation. I am one-eighth Indigenous no, American, don't, don't. and therefore we are reclaiming the we land for my no people. For that. We haven't even seen the birth certificate. Oh, the white man's birth certificate, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I don't need the white man's birth certificate to tell me my people. And I'm reclaiming my land. One, one office at a time. Don't, don't. I can feel the hatred, and I can feel the bile, and you need to be led by positivity in your life. So, uh, speaking of positivity, we're going to continue to talk about Black Panther today. However, we're not going to talk about Reginald Hudlin Black Panther, and we're not going to talk about the Todd Nahisi Coates Black Panther. We're going to talk about the Black Panthers in between. Because in 2018, when the movie came out, they basically got a hard-on for publishing everything with Black Panther they possibly could. Now, we're not going to go into all the stuff out there, because, I mean, suddenly, putting Black Panther in a guest-starring role in a title was a way to sell titles. Question. Yeah. Are we about to see Wakanda move more? Not today, but it, it does move again, yes. Because with every new writer, a Wakanda moves. It feels that way, doesn't it? But we're going to talk about some of the major collected works you can buy and where they sort of fit into the mythology. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on any of them because, I, I, frankly, I debated even doing this topic. But I felt like I'd gone over enough uh, of the Black Panther's history that leaving out these fairly major works could leave people confused about if they should read them, what order they should read them in, you know, how they fit in the mythology, all that. So first up, I'm going to mention one that you probably won't find, but just in case you run into it, in 2018, they did an eight-issue miniseries called Black Panther, Soul of a Machine. And in this case, the machine was Alexis. Now, their cover art for these said custom edition, not for resale, 
which is generally something you give out as a special promotional item, but those are usually one-shots, not eight. Uh, I am familiar with the, phys- with the digital version. If there's a physical version out there that was given away for some sort of special promotional, I don't know exactly who it would have been for, for people buying Lexus who went to the Black Panther movie. I, they gave it away in Lexus dealership, maybe. I don't know. It's weird. Right. Copy and paste Lexus and called it a day. Now, the internal art is not exactly revolutionary in quality. And the writing is pretty cliched and haphazard. So Black Panther has to go fight, you know, intellects that have moved into a machine. They threaten Wakanda. They can control digital technology. And in the course of all this, he has to drive a Lexus and loves his Lexus. Now, I'm just going to tell you motherfuckers something. Because nothing says, I'll buy this car like the Black Panther likes the car. Now, if the Black... I don't see the Black Panther driving a Lexus. I mean, if the Black Panther is going to drive a car, A, it's probably a Wakandan car, because they've probably got awesome cars. Mm-hmm. But let's assume that he wants a Western car. I mean, you know T'Challa would have, like, an Aston Martin Vulcan or something. I mean, we're talking about a supercar that can do 300 miles an hour, Right? Slap some diplomatic plates on it and drive wherever the hell he pleases. You just now noticed that. Yes. Well, the people on the pod listening to the lecture on the podcast can't see it, so that doesn't make for good radio. Sorry, there's new things in the office, and Rowan's blood pressure after fighting with her iPad is just now going down to the levels where she's noticing literally things bigger than her right in front of her. One of those days, huh? Yep. Okay, I gotcha. So anyway, we're not going to talk more about Soul of a Machine, but it does say something that it is such a shilling work. You know, it just exists to try to shill the idea that Black Panther comic fans should buy Lexuses, that this is the only collected sort of Black Panther work that I've not seen put out in any form of reprint. What I want to know is who read this and went, I want a Lexus. I don't know. Nobody that I know of. Or at least went out and bought one. Right. Now, the next work I'm going to mention is one that was not um, written by Christopher Priest, uh, but it came after the Christopher Priest run, and it's Black Panther and the crew, We Are the Streets. It's actually written by Todd Nahisi Coates whose upcoming ongoing run on Black Panther we're going to talk about. But this was very much an attempt to recast the Black Panther in a more urban role with some characters that people will recognize, such as um, Luke Cage, you know, Power Man, uh, the aboriginal uh, mutant gateway who can create teleporting, from those who remember him from the early 90s X-Men comics, and so forth. This was, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I think this was Todd Nahisi Coates's uh, first time writing Black Panther. I think it's good. I think it's a fun little read. I don't think it's terribly important to the mythology of Black Panther. Oh, yes, and Storm is present in it as well. 
And it's, well, yeah. So that's We Are the Streets, the crew, which was an attempt to create basically an urban black uh, sort of superhero group, but it never quite congealed for people. And speaking of things that didn't congeal, Black Panther, do more. Yep. Now, on it, you get looming in the background, Victor Von Doom. And I'm contractually obligated to say Victor Von Doom. Because I don't read my contracts well. And Namor, the fish boy. And, or as I like to call him, the amazing tuna lad. Yep. He, he is supposed to be, uh, you know, incredibly dangerous and powerful and threatening, and he does lots of bad things, and I still just think he's the fish boy. He um, doesn't look dangerous. No, no. He, he looks like that guy that tried out for BTS and would have gotten in, but he was a little too old. And not attractive enough. And then in the foreground of this cover image, we have Shuri as Black Panther. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess because they wanted to show that she was different, she has like this furry mane uh, uh, attachment, even though she doesn't have... a. I don't know why. I mean, is she going to cover her head with it when she's cold and the rest of her will just freeze? I think it's like the attachment to the cape. Uh, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Um, there's a big tribal necklace that will literally go down and point a tiny tooth arrow at her vajayjay when it lays flat and isn't being shown in motion, which I think is a little weird. There's to be like, I am Shuri. I am the Black Panther. I am. Why are you looking? Where are you looking? Where are you look? Oh, shit. <laughs> Accessories undermine me. Big dramatic moment, and they're all looking at my vajayjay. It's like the artist didn't think about how the rest of the outfit would situate if she was standing straight. Right, right. And also, okay, I, here is one of my issues of the Black Panther having a cape. And indeed, many close quarters characters having capes. That's going to get caught on stuff. Right, people grab it. A necklace around your neck? Also a problem in that regard. Just saying. Yeah, that microphone's there. Just tell it. Just letting you know that. I, I noticed. I just okay. Make sure that I had okay. Making sure you weren't hallucinating. Yeah. Gotcha. So Shuri's the Black Panther now. Um, T'Challa is in heavy rehab, and Shuri has to kind of try to learn how to be the Black Panther. She meets with Obama. She meets Everett Ross. They kind of make these weird, like quasi illusions that Ross used to know the Black Panther as if the Christopher Priest run were still in continuity, but obviously it's not. Mm. It's all very awkwardly handled, in my opinion. Mm. T'Challa is literally trying to learn how to walk again. Yeah. It has not gone well for him. And Shuri is doing her job as the Black Panther. She's the regent of Wakanda. Uh, she's meeting with people internationally. She's doing okay as the Black Panther. But obviously, there are difficult learning curves. Right, exactly. We also see, and I thought this was kind of a neat scene, uh, T'Challa go to visit the training grounds of the Dora Milaje. And normally, we only see one or two Dora Milaje 
But here we see just dozens of Dora Milaje waiting mm -hmm. to serve him. And, of course, because he's T'Challa, he says, we have work to do. And then doesn't explain shit. I swear, T'Challa and Batman, that's their defining trait. Not losing parents, not brooding on rooftops, not wearing all black, but none of, but neither of them actually tell the people they work with what the hell they're up to. Yeah. Seriously, it's annoying. So in the course of things, Shuri gets to meet up with other people. She basically, in the course of Doom War, has to prove herself as the new Black Panther. Which is a pretty tall order, but she does fine. Now, I do, and she has this sort of weird battle armor at one point. However, I, I would mock it, but, you know, they kind of did a similar battle armor for T'Challa when he was fighting the Black Knight and all that. Uh -huh. So I guess there's precedent for it. But obviously, in the course of all this, the powers, such as Namor and uh, Doom, want to manipulate Shuri for their own ends. I really like the art in this one. Yeah, the art's really good. And, I mean, you actually have Namor there look like he's actually kind of dangerous. Mm -hmm. But he's still a fish boy. And only kind of. The amazing tuna lad. <laughs> that really is the best name for him, isn't it? Uh-huh, yeah. So, Doom War pretty much takes the place of being Shuri learning to be Black Panther. Of course, it is shortly after this that T'Challa returns mm -hmm. to being the Black Panther. So it is all kind of a pointless joke in a way. Ooh, art style shift. Yes. Uh, we've entered a new issue, this time with a new artist. And I'm pausing here so you can look at that art. That version of uh, Storm with the Mohawk, you haven't yeah. seen those. But she had that look where she was in, like, leather jacket, leather pants, mohawk for a good long run of the X-Men in the 80s oh, and that's early 90s. Cool. Yeah. And I like this new art style. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are some issues that come up around this time in the comics, namely because of the war with Namor. Namor ends up, and some of this happens in Doom War, some doesn't. So I'm kind of talking outside continuity some, but it will pop up very much so by the time we return to Ta-Nehisi Coates, A Nation Under Our Feet. So I'll go ahead and mention it. Uh, Namor ends up flooding much of the world. Millions of people are killed. And essentially, because Namor is a mutant and he's fighting to protect mutants, Storm sides with him. So she is stripped of her title and kicked out of Wakanda and divorced from T'Challa. As she should. Yep. So I guess that frog's future um, came not to pass, at least not directly. So a few other collections that you can read out there that I'm going to mention in passing. One is, uh, it, I guess I'll back up and say, so now in the mythology of Black Panther, you kind of have these two primary females that are the iconic love interests of T'Challa, Monica Lynn and Storm, and we've now just kind of reverted back to a who-the-hell-knows future state of his romance. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Black Panther, long live the king! Long live the king! 
Uh, this was written by, and I, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but I looked, I did not find a pronunciation guide for it. Nenindi Okorafu. She is an American. Uh, her parents are, Ni are of Nigerian birth. She is often described as a Nigerian-American for that reason, but she was born in the U.S. Uh, she is probably the only person with that close a tie to Africa that's ridden Black Panther up to this point. Um, and there are a couple things I love about it. Now, one, I love the art style. And I love that when we find T'Challa, he's hanging out in his rooms, and he's reading a book called uh, You Must Set Forth at Dawn by Wole Soyinka. Now, for those who aren't familiar with him, Wole Soyinka is the first African to win the Pulitzer Prize for Literature. Um, he was a, is a fascinating, fascinating person. Uh, he spent several he spent several years in solitary confinement. He spent time in jail for fighting for uh, freedom of speech and people's rights. I mean, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, novelist who also broke into and hijacked radio stations to broadcast, you know, freedom messages to people. Uh, pretty cool guy. In Nigerian, he's written several books. I have read You Must Set Forth at Dawn. It's excellent. Uh, it is actually a follow-up memoir to uh, one that charts him earlier in life. And, oh, I am struggling to remember the name of that one right now. Um, hold on. I'm going to look it up really quick here. Because I can't believe that I'm not remembering. It's another great work. These are both memoirs, not uh, fictional novels. And I, I point out the difference because he's did so much. He's done tons of he's done novels like The Interpreters, Season of Anami, Chronicles from the Land of the Happiest People on Earth. His memoirs include uh, the one I was trying to think of, Ake, The Years of Childhood, and then You Must Set Forth at Dawn. I think of those as kind of paired. Uh, he's done some other memoir works that I have not read, like The Man Died Prison Notes, which I imagine are from his time in prison, and Isara, A Voyage Around Essay. He's even done t poetry collections, which I've not read. Poetry always becomes iffy when you take it out of a native language. Mm -hmm. Prose survives a little bit better, I think. But he is Nigerian, which is of interest in part because the author here is Nigerian, or at least has Nigerian parents. Uh, and I suspect feels a kinship with Nigeria. And in fact, she's won a literary award named for him, wh whose book is featured right here. Now, thematically in the book, he has to set forth out of his native place. He has to leave Nigeria and leave his home behind. And this is a little bit of a clue here uh, that that's what T'Challa is going to do. And this story takes place uh, basically when all hell breaks loose and then a giant Cthulian monster seems to run through the town straight for T'Challa's face. Just a normal day. Which then nobody else sees and thinks, and people think T'Challa's losing it. So he go, finds out that it came from a mute zone. And a mute zone is an area where people choose to live outside the royal rule of Wakanda and choose to live presumably without technology. 
although it turns out they do have technology. And of course, figures from T'Challa's past come in, a pseudo-romantic one, an old mentor, all these things happen. And in the end, it turns out that the issue is basically a bucket of sentient vibranium, which is all very weird. And he pours it out into the ground and the story is over. Oh, that elephant is a cyborg or a robot. What? Yep. What? Yep. Okay. And then there are cults and man-apes and all kinds of other stuff. Because you can never escape man-ape. Right. Man-ape is everywhere. Man-ape is the Iggy Azalea of Wakanda. <laughs> Seriously. You think you've escaped man-ape, and then one day you get up, uh, and you're like, I'm going to go down to the bodega, Wakandan bodega and buy some milk and bagels. And Manape is literally standing on the corner twerking. Oh, God. And he has been since like 10 p.m. the night before. Oh, and he's just watching my Manape butt go, man. And he's just bending over like doing the butt, doing the butt. And it's like, that's an ape butt, man. And he's like, I know I'm the Manape. He, he's special. However, I want to point out that he is technically Wakandan royal family. And he continues to get page time, and the Black Musketeers do not. Which makes you wonder, what the hell have the Black Musketeers been up to that, that, that in Wakanda, man-ape is preferable to, you know, popularize over them? I mean, a grown man in an ape costume who stands on the corner, you know, twerking. And they're like, at least he isn't one of the Black Musketeers. No. Uh, I think that's a Shuri mashup with Venom or something. Oh, no, it's not. It's a whole new character. Sorry. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, so there are several follow-up stories in here in um, Okafer's book, Long Live the King. They don't really directly relate to any of the mythology. You don't have to read them. I think they're fun. They're not great. Um I'm keeping my personal opinion of the writer out of this. I actually think she's a good writer, but she's been very unpleasant to me in the past. So, you know, I'll put that out there for full disclaimer. I think she's a good writer, even if I find her an unpleasant human being. Next up, Black Panther's World of Wakanda with Roxanne Gay and Todd Nahisi Coates. Todd Nahisi Coates is providing duty, doing some script writing again. And this storyline is particularly notable for introducing lesbian Dora Milaje, who then basically stage a revolt and form their own group. Now, this is post-Namor's attack. Uh, Storm is gone. Wakanda has been flooded. Insane numbers of people have died, maybe in the millions. I don't know what the population of Wakanda is. Certainly around the world, Namor killed millions. Um, and a lot of people feel like stronger stance should have been taken and that both T'Challa and Shuri should have taken stronger stances. And so we end up with the, this rogue faction of Dora Milaje who basically go out to form their own political faction in Wakanda. And it's an interesting story in some ways. Uh, some of it I didn't felt rang really true for me. Um... I will be curious how much of this really sinks 
into the lore. Because the interesting thing for me, of course, is that the image of the Dora Milaje resonated very quickly with people. When Christopher Priest added them to Black Panther, it just snapped. They were in place. Everybody loved them. The idea of rogue Dora Milaje that formed their own political faction feels kind of like, you know, oh, it, to use an analogy from DC Comics, the Green Lantern Corps has been around for two and a half billion years. Unchanging. Perfect. By the way, in the last 40 years, that shit fell apart and got rebuilt 17 times, motherfuckers. And that's just complete. The core power battery got blown up 13 of them. Four billion years intact. 17 years. Boom. Over and over again. Nobody will ensure that shit anymore. No one. Do you know what the Owens rates are trying to ensure a central power battery at this point? It is redonkulous. Plot twist, there's no insurance companies in either Marvel or DC Universe. Bit of trivia. There is actually a series that Marvel's published a couple iterations of about the issues with things like rebuilding and insurance after superhero supervillain attacks called damage control. Uh, uh, we may, for a humor episode, cover that at some point. Anyway, Sorry. this whole Dora Milaje go rogue, it's a fun little story, and it's interesting in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I think Roxanne Gay and Ta-Nehisi Coates' writing is really sharp, but I have heavy doubts about whether or not it will really resonate with people in a way that sticks. Um, I know there are people who love to see the Dora Milaje as LGBTQZW plus minus exclamation no mark. Uses those. Hmm? No one actually uses those. I, I don't know. There's so many of them. I mean, I've seen versions where people, they're like 30 characters long because they're, and I don't even and, know some of the things they're trying to be inclusive and, of. Anyone who does that is just being entitled. Well, I don't know. I, I think they're trying to, like, you know, broadcast how woke they are. And I'm like, motherfucker, you're so woke, you don't ever go to sleep and have brain damage. Yeah, anyone um, who does that is just virtuously joined. So, anyway, I, I understand the appeal behind the story, but I don't see it sticking around. But if I'm wrong, that's fine. Then we have Black Panther, The Sound and the Fury. It was a one-shot written by Ralph Macchio, the longtime... Uh, comic book writer, not the star of the Karate Kid movies from the 1980s. If Rowan looks confused here because she probably is not familiar with those movies, um, it's okay if anybody ever tells you you need to watch them. Um, just go to the bathroom and don't come back. <laughs> there are movies of their time. And I'm not going to say they're bad, but... Anybody claiming that they're like great classic movies is definitely being influenced by, you know, watching them in their childhood. Mm. And that's okay. But The Sound and the Fury, you know, of course, sound is being used by a bad guy, so Claw's there. there it's just a straight-up adventure story where Claw gets beat up. Mm. Now, in what is, I think, a really fun little collection... Black Panther, the man without fear. Now, typically, the man without fear is the tagline for Daredevil, Matt Murdock. 
but Matt Murdock has run off to run the Hand, a ninja organization that he's going to try to make into good guys. And he has asked T'Challa to watch over Hell's Kitchen for him. And so we get T'Challa as an urban-level hero, and he feels it important to not use all the Wakandan resources because he's there in Matt Murdock's place. And so we get this very street noirish story with Black Panther. And I, a, hmm? I love this arc of Batman. And some of it screams Batman Year One to me. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. Now, interestingly, this is, of course, in some ways what Joe Casada was looking for when he launched Black Panther as part of Marvel Knights. Um, although this is much more noirish than I think Casada uh, was looking for when he went with that New Jack City vibe that Christopher Priest implemented for him. And once again, the more and more we get into Black Panther, the more and more he looks and feels like Batman. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. He is the Batman of the Marvel Universe, and I think I think every universe needs a Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see this storyline talked about a lot. I don't think this storyline has hit that iconic point in people's memories where they go, oh my God, if we're going to talk about Black Panther stories, we got to talk about when he subbed for Matt Murdock in Hell's Kitchen. And it was Black Panther, the man without fear. And, you know, they, you know, the fanboys, when they get excited, they get that glint in their eye. Like the first time they saw a nude woman on a screen. Um, I Notice I'm not saying in person because that doesn't happen for them. Um, I know I'm a fanboy. I'm not a fanboy, actually. I love comics. I love reading. But when I meet comics creators, I go, hi, nice to meet you. I liked such and such. Oh, you know, I struggle with something nice to say if I don't care for their work. I don't get crap signed. I don't buy first editions. I just read stuff. I'm not a fanboy. I don't understand fanboys. But I like this. I think it's a fun adventure story. Its literary value is zero. It has no literary value. It is just a fun story to read. And you need some of that. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. Um, yeah, this was another little one-shot they did around 2018. And they incorporated different stories. What? And I think these were largely freebies. I think this was largely given out as a freebie or very cheap uh, to interest people in Black Panther if they'd only seen him in the movies. The first one features a fight between him and the Fantastic Four, which is kind of a play off of his first appearance in Fantastic Four, except in this case, they're buying vibranium. They don't know they're buying it from smugglers. He shows up, kicks their asses. They fly after him to Wakanda, which apparently Reed Richards knows where Wakanda is, by the way. Wait, what? Yes. He can't defeat their, their... cloaking technology so he can't see the houses or anything but he flies to and lands in wakanda okay so people know where wakanda is well at least reed richards does and then t'challa proceeds to kick all their asses again which they should have seen coming right and then there's a few more adventures in here and they're just fun adventure stories there's nothing special about them but it does help introduce the character of the black panther Then we get to one of the more bizarre things that came out of... What? Okay, so when the Black Panther movie came out, Marvel was kind of hedging their bets a little bit. A little bit. 
And by the little bit, I mean they knew it was going to be popular. They believed the movie would be popular, but they didn't know how popular. Was it going to be Ant-Man popular? Or was it going to be Captain America popular? So they loaded up on stuff to publish, but it was really after the movie was out and they had a sense of how popular it was, which was Captain America levels of popular, Mm -hmm. that there was this sort of wake that formed behind the movie and the Marvel editorial staff were on long boxes surfing the waves created by the aftermath, just just trying to pull along out of the water writers and artists and throw them on makeshift, you know, rafts made of long boxes and yelling at them going, write Black Panther, draw Black Panther, publish now. Um, 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 uh, story, um, Black Panther travels through time, becomes God. Write it! Um, um, (laughs) you know, uh, Black Panther turns out to be a transvestite. Throw that one back in the water. (laughs) You know, this is what was happening. And so out of this, we get Black Panther and the agents of Wakanda. Now, S.H.I.E.L.D. is basically gone. But the Avengers need some kind of support. So T'Challa is going to basically replace S.H.I.E.L.D. with himself. Because he's a Black Panther. And he creates a a Wakandan helicarrier, which you see up there. Wait, that's what that is? Right, the Wakandan helicarrier. Nope. But instead of creating an organization with hundreds or indeed thousands of highly trained, sophisticated agents to act as support for the Avengers. He picks Kazar the Jungle Lord. Who is he? I have never heard of him. Kazar the Jungle Lord, a random bit of trivia. Um, it was a Kazar story that Everett Ross was first introduced in. What? Everett Ross was a lawyer for Kazar trying to get him off legal charges. The, he's basically the Tarzan ripoff. Uh, and he very much kind of is a Tarzan ripoff. Okay. And then we have Okoye, who's running this for T'Challa when he's not present. Mm-hmm. Janet Van Dyne, the wasp. We have... Who's the monkey? We have a monkey. But hold on. The monkey's not the end of it. But, but who's the monkey? <laughs> the, the, hold on. The monkey is the monkey. I'm trying to remember. It's not Man Ape. It's Monkey Man. I don't know. He, he has some very on the nose name. Mm-hmm. But I want to point out a couple other characters. Uh-huh. So we have these thugs out here, like stealing high tech weaponry and doing stuff. And we have this one guy, and it's like, okay, oh, so he's like in a suit. And so the Wakandans do have some like normal agent stuff. Uh-huh. It's not just these, you know, weird characters. And he's using a gun to subdue them. But then things go badly, and then he turns into a werewolf and attacks. Meet John Colonel, John Jameson III. Of course he's the third. Well, you know his dad. J. Jonah Jameson is John Jameson II, his father. The publisher of the Daily Bugle is his dad. 
And he gained his powers by being an astronaut who landed on the moon, and some weird event on the moon turned him into a werewolf. So you're saying the moon makes werewolves. I'm saying a writer for Spider-Man in the 1960s said that. And now he loses his temper and becomes a werewolf occasionally. Yep. You know, there's worse things writers have done to characters. <laughs> right. And now we meet another one of the characters, this really big martial arts sumo-looking guy. Uh-huh. He's a master of chi. He's a master of spiritual martial arts energy. Uh-huh. He is Fat Cobra. I'm not making this up. You know, writers have done some amazing things in comics. Mm-hmm. Names have never been one of them. Right. Hold on. But we've got more. Do you remember the weird flying uh 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 la- the weird flying guy that harassed Black Panther for the cult and helped him lose his get his memory wiped and all that? Mm-hmm. That is Agent Strongbow, a.k.a. American Eagle, who's back with us. Thank God. Now as an agent of Wakanda. Oh, no. I know. It's it's bizarre. And why T'Challa figure... I mean, basically, he doesn't assemble a shield replacement. He says he's assembling a shield replacement, and he's actually organizing a group that's reminiscent of the Stranger Defenders. Or DC's old howling, co- you know, creature commandos. T'Challa grabbed a couple long boxes and blindly picked a few for characters. We're going to take some obscure-ass characters and put them together in a group to do weird shit. Uh-huh. And it's fun. Now, I don't think this is ever going to sink into the hearts and minds and become part of Black Panther mythology. But if you want to see the kind of weird stuff they went... Black Panther movie made how many billions? Publish that shit. I mean, there's no way this would have gotten published before the Black Panther movie. There's just no way on God's green earth. But I'm kind of glad it did happen. Mm -hmm. And then the very last one I'm going to give you is The Amazing Spider-Man, Wakanda Forever. Of course. Now, this is... Written by, again, Nanindi uh, Okorafer, who wrote uh, the, the, the storyline that started off with him reading the We Must Set Forth at Dawn book. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, it's well-written. Now, what do you think of when you see Spider-Man with Dora Milaje? And there's no Black Panther in this, by the way, which there, I like. There, there there's not. It's just him and Dora Milaje. Right. But I think it's an imp- I think there's actually stuff in here that can help sink into the consciousness of the mythology. This sounds fun. It is. It's a lot of fun. The art is good. Spider-Man is silly. And guess who's back? Now, Reginald Hudlin's run retconned Christopher Priest, but she brings back Malice. Nakia, the corrupt Dora Milaje, and kind of gives her some closure finally in this storyline. That's nice. Yeah. She kind of gets a redemption story. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, you yeah, know. much better than how the movie treated her. Right. Which was so, so creepy. Yeah. Uh, so Okoye is in this, and another Dora Milaje, 
And we definitely saw in the books the sort of risen stature of Okoye among the Dora Milaje after the movie, no surprise. I think that is one of the things that's resonating in the Black Panther mythology post-movie is this idea of Okoye kind of being first among equals of the Dora Milaje. Although the her being married to Wakabi was weird. And of course, by now, at this point in the books, Wakabi is dead. I know. Which is still so upsetting. Yeah. So as we go through all this, the Dora Milaje are very serious. Spider-Man is very silly. Um, But we get this idea of the Dora Milaje not just as, you know, these warrior chicks that follow T'Challa, but these elite agents that go out and do things on their own as well. Right, and that's one of the things that is a benchmark for a really successful mythology is that other mythology and other mythological elements branch out of it. And people find it so rich that they want more and more of these adjacent things. And I think this is definitely happening with the Dora Milaje and that people want Dora Milaje stories, not just Dora Milaje with Black Panther. Yeah, because they're really cool. Right. So that brings us to the end of that list. Um, now, obviously, we touched on very briefly several works by Ta-Nehisi Coates, but when we come back next Monday, what we're going to do is talk about uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates's A Nation Under Our Feet, uh, as well as the book that that title was taken from which is a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, piece of fiction, uh, uh, literature, nonfiction, actually, mm. about black political power in America. So, and I, I think the choice of the title is an interesting one, considering Wakanda does not have a history of oppression of their people. So we're going to talk a little bit when we do about why he chose that title and what the significance is. Okay, so we're going to close that off for here. And until next time read more comics.